I want to start today with a couple of questions. Um, well, first let me just say this. Um, we had a belated celebration of our granddaughter Olivia's birthday yesterday, and this is what came to mind. Now, this is really dangerous to bring out what's coming to your mind, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But yesterday we had this belated birthday celebration, and she was there, I was there, we were there, and, um, and the song we sang earlier, sing, 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 you know, you sing, 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 great. So she, someone started singing, there was some music playing, and all of a sudden, Olivia gets up and she goes, Pops, let's dance. <laughs> so I went, and I'm, I'm like really comfortable down on the ground after driving a couple hours. She goes, she's, she's like giving, she's like throwing down some moves. Pops, let's dance. She didn't ask anyone else. She said, Pops, let's dance. Probably because she knows I'm a sucker and I'll do it. And I get up and we start dancing. And I thought about something. I wonder if God sometimes says, hey, Jeff, let's dance. And I wonder what, if we came into worship, right, it'd be interesting to see a couple of you break out some moves during church. I'd be, it'd be different. But I wonder if God would just, it says to us sometimes, listen, just come. She had no fear, no inhibition. She just said, I'm just having a good time. What if we came to our Heavenly Father when we came to worship? I'd like you to think about that. I'll come back to that in a moment. All right. What did the numbers 6,570,000 have in common? Well, depending on who you read, depending on what clinical study you read, that's how many thoughts you and I have in a day. Somewhere between, kind of rough number, huh? 6,500 to 70,000. Some of us have more active minds than others, I guess. But that says that there is 5 to 50 a minute, 300 to 3,000 during a 24-hour period. And so your mind is like a highway that's crowded with so many thoughts. So now I'm going to ask you a very dangerous question because it could be dangerous if you said the answer to it out loud. So I'm just asking you, I'm imploring you, we don't want you to answer this question out loud. And the question is, what are you thinking? What are you thinking right now? I don't want to know. Oh, I heard that one. I'm thinking that he should make this a 10-minute sermon. I heard that. You're going to be really disappointed. What are you thinking? What are you thinking right now? What were you thinking when your feet hit the ground today? What were you thinking when you pulled into the parking lot? What were you thinking when you were driving to work this week? What are you thinking? What is your last thought last night when you went to bed? What are you thinking? Where is your mind going right now? Now, if there's that many thoughts going on at any given time, I know there's a bunch. Of, just think about how many thoughts are going to happen here in the next hour, collectively, in this room. What are you thinking? Well, you know, a number of people have told me, more people than you may expect, have told me, just the other day someone said it to me again, that 2023 was their most difficult year. That it was a hard year. 
I'm also sure others are going to point back to it with fondness and joy. Someone's going to say, that was the best year of my life. But as we stare into 2024 and what lies ahead of us, what is the best way to prepare for what lies ahead of us? And that is to start with a question, what are you thinking about? So we were having some coffee, Kathleen and I, and we were um, sitting there in a coffee shop locally, and someone walked by with a shirt that said this, look for the good and the good will get better. Look for the good and the good will get better. My first reaction to that statement is, well, that seems kind of like rose-colored glasses territory, right? But then Philippians 4.8 comes to mind. And this is the word of the Lord for us today. Thanks be to God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, and we're going to include verse 9. And why don't you just stand with me as we look together to the word of God. And yes, I think we should read it collectively and corporately out loud together. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. May God open our hearts to these words. You may be seated. In the weeks ahead, we're going to be asking a question in this series we're entitling Think on These Things. We're going to be asking questions like, what am I thinking about God? Or, how do I need to right-size my thinking about myself and others? Or, what in the world is God thinking? Next week, we're going to, I'm going to change some things with where I began, but next week we're going to talk about the gatekeeper. But rolling into 2024, there's a lot to think about. First of all, it's a leap year. So all those people who were born on February 29th, this is their year, right? The Olympics will be held. The Summer Olympics and the Paralympics in October, where our friend Morgan Stickney hopes to compete. There's wars and rumors of wars and global instability. There's the surge, especially in recent months, of AI, artificial intelligence, and the implications of that. Add to that the increased social media-induced disconnection and the social media assaults and content that are malignant to the soul. And then there's this, this little thing that's happening, a presidential election. 
Studies are showing that 56% of Americans feel dread, exhaustion, and depression about this already. Now, I want to believe that I'm one of those optimistic people, but I, I really too easily sometimes get sucked into the cynical, the critical, and the skeptical. And, and this is the default of the human brain, which we talked about just several weeks ago. Neurologically, neurologically, human beings are bent toward negativity, complaining, criticizing. And that's called the negativity bias or effect. And as I said, we talked about that when we spoke about joy several weeks ago. What, what, it, what that means is this, that the, that the brain focuses on and it stockpiles the negative things. Negative thinking. Some studies say that 80% of our thoughts are negative. Based off those numbers I shared with you earlier, you know, that's like every 4 to 40 thoughts a minute pull toward the negative or the critical or the cynical. So we're prone to focus on the negative, but here's the question. Are you ready? Here's the question. So, are we slaves to the negativity bias? Are we slaves to this negativity bias? See, I think that's a really important question as we walk into 2024 or whatever year or whatever stage of life. Are we slaves to the negativity bias? Because what we think is going to determine an awful lot. Because here's the reality. I think I should say it this way. What we think of what we have no control over. Often. Really. We need to think about that and determine that. It's no mystery or secret that I'm a fan of Dallas Willard, who was an amazing theologian and preacher and scholar, but his fundamental training was he was a philosopher. At one time, he headed the philosophy department of the University of Southern California. His wife, on occasion, there in Chatsworth, California, would go in the backyard, and there would be Dallas Willard. He'd be laid out on the ground, laying down, just looking up. And she'd go out there, Dallas, are you okay? He'd say, oh, I'm fine. I'm working. I want that job. Right? He said, I'm working. When are you working? He said, I'm, I'm thinking. And I'm thinking as I look up of the vastness of God. Well, Dallas Willard said this about thinking. He said, next slide, the ultimate freedom we have as individuals is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon and think about. Hear that. The ultimate freedom. We are so busy trying to find someone else to bring us freedom from the external. Some external source to give me freedom. Whether it's through our jobs or an election or something over here, some relationship. But the ultimate freedom 
is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon and think about. He then goes on and says this, the focus of your thoughts significantly affects everything else that happens in your life and evokes the feelings that frame your world and motivate your actions. I know that's a lot. We'll come back to that. But are we slaves to the negativity bias? And the answer to that question is yes, if we choose to be. But what if we made a counterintuitive choice? What if we sought to, to fight against our default setting? What, what if we developed a Philippians 4.8 bias? Now, I know that this negativity bias is my default, and it's our default, some more than others. But yet, if I, if, if we did that, if we created a Philippians 4.8 bias, would we find more of what Paul says as he goes on in verse 9, and the God of peace will be with you? He just said two verses earlier that his peace will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. But let's, let's start by answering the objections of some, perhaps, up front. I can, I can just hear someone saying this. That sounds all well and good, Jeff. But have you looked out at the world lately? Look at all these political ads. Look at the suffering and the war. Are you telling me not to dwell on the negative, the dehumanizing, the caustic? Don't you know that we swim in that toxic waste every day? Don't you know that? Are you asking me to do something that's just not possible? I hear that, <laughs> and I think we need to acknowledge that. And we can, we can just expand that even in our personal lives. Those places, those things, those issues that just, all we can see is the negative side of the coin. Sometimes I find myself trying to keep my head from going under in the negativity Toxic waste. But here's something we need to remember. I think we often think that our times or our issues are like the worst ever. And I'm not minimizing that. It feels like that sometimes. But don't think for a moment that we are unique to these conditions or that no one has had it harder than you and me. Because in many ways, we have it so much better than most of history and most of the world today. That's true. But as my professor Neil Wiseman said, everyone's dark is dark. Everyone's dark is dark. So I want you to recognize this about Philippians chapter 4 in general, but especially verse 8. 
Paul is not dismissing the painful or the harsh or the discouraging or that which disrupts our lives. Let's understand what's happening. Let's not look at, the, at Philippians with rose-colored glasses. Let's understand this. This church is being persecuted to death. Secondly, there's division happening here. That's what's happening in the background of Philippians. One of the things that's happening is, is he's, he's trying to prevent division. This is pretty current for our churches today. This is pretty current for the church in America today. So there's this divisiveness that's taking place. The ruler of the land is a power-hungry authoritarian. And get this. Paul is writing from prison. I know we blow that off. We say, oh yeah, this is one of those prison epistles and we kind of put it somewhere out there. But hear that. Paul is writing from prison. And I doubt it's as comfortable as a prison that many have today. Which isn't comfortable. Which is harsh. And I try to imagine. I don't know what it would have been like. And here's the last thing. He has no idea whether he's going to survive this. How do we know that? Because just before, earlier in Philippians, he says this, one of my favorite verses, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he's going, you know, I don't know. But for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, I don't know if I'm going to survive this. So this is not... I want you to understand what this is not. This is not seeing the glass half full, Philippians 4 8. It's not good enough. This is not some idealistic denial. This is not unrealistic optimism. This is not the power of positive thinking. Help us, no. This is not wishful thinking. This is not spiritual-sounding platitudes. This is not dismissive of life's worst realities at all. But what we have is we have direct insight into what Paul the Apostle himself is thinking as he is facing the potential worst-case scenario of his life. That's what it is. And we get a glimpse into the patterns of thinking that Paul has trained himself in as he's in his worst case scenario. And so he can say to these Philippians, these are astounding words. Verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Can you walk out of here today? and talk to your family, and talk to your neighbors, and say, hey, whatever you've seen in me, whatever you've heard from me, put that into practice. If someone says, what does it mean to be a Christian? And as I ask that question, just so you know, I'm asking that question, I'm feeling the heat of it myself. What about my family? What about my colleagues I work with? What about the people I interact with? What about the vendor I meet when I go and do business in the local public square, what they see and what they hear in me do, if you, just, if you want to know what it means to, 
do all this, just put it into practice. Do they see in me, Philippians 4, 8? See, Paul is speaking of intentionally framing the mind to the grace of God, the revelation of God in the world. All of those traits we just read in verse 8 are not the power of positive thinking. They're not just some mind exercise. You can download the app like Luminosity or something and all of a sudden you'll be able to do this better. These are the result of the grace of God through the presence of Jesus Christ in the life of a person as he forms and shapes their mind. They're grace-given. But we have to be open to the grace of this formation You see, the fact that the worst-case scenario, chained to a Roman soldier, expecting to die in prison experience, is the place where Paul is practicing this pattern of thinking and commanding, it's a command, commanding his readers to do the same, suggests that whatever my circumstances are, I can do the same in my life. And that's not minimizing the harshness of them. Yeah, I put my hand up when I said 2023, I'd rather not have it again. Except when I say that, I forget some things like, you know, this little pre-me baby that came in on Easter Sunday, who I'm going to see later today. It was one of my granddaughters. You know, except, except that following the death of my mother, God began to do something different among my siblings. And except that You know, and I can go on with all those things. I think what I'm hearing from this passage, and this has been challenging me, and if it's not challenging anyone else, um, I guess someone once said that preaching isn't writing a sermon and preparing that. That preaching is preparing a preacher. And delivering that. And so I guess this is so on my heart, especially as we go into this year with the potential of the disruption and the caustic nature of our culture. That what if the church takes Philippians 4 8 serious and the world looks at Community Chapel and says, there's an island over there where I can go and hear the truth about Jesus Christ and find grace and welcome and hope and healing and the gospel. Yeah, whatever my circumstances are, Paul is saying to me, this can be in your life too. Philippians 4.8, let's put it up there. Let's say this together. Oh, here we go. Let's say this together. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, it's easy to read this and pretend it's a simple exercise. Memorize it, check it off. But that's not what this is. This is not a task to be accomplished. This is sort of like a garden. And what you plant in the garden. 
This is sort of like planting a garden. Remember I talked about all those thoughts in our minds? This is about planting a garden in like a busy inner city intersection. Or it's like planting a garden in a field that has been contaminated by waste products. But you plant the garden right in the middle of it. That's what this is like. This isn't a, 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 an exercise. This is gardening. This is planting some seeds in the garden of my mind and of your mind. But how do we do that? Well, let's first talk about these traits, if you want to call them seeds. Whatever is true, Whatever is true in a world where conspiracy lives on all sides, whatever is true, what does that mean? It means the opposite of falsehood. What can't be hidden is the literal meaning, alethe. It, it aligns with the facts, it agrees with reality especially the reality about God, who's the greatest reality, the truest reality, the clearest reality. It causes us to ask questions like this. What's true about you? What's true about you? What's true about what God thinks about you? What is true? What is noble? It's the only place in the New Testament where this word is used. In other words, what is majestic? What is awe-inspiring? What is worthy of respect? What draws your soul upward? The psalm reading this week that Ben read for us earlier, Psalm 139, I was reading that the other day. It's part of this, my regular psalm reading for this week. I began think. I began praying it as if it was me talking directly to God, and it just lifted me up to sense His nearness. What is lifting your soul up? What is worth that? What is right? Quite literally, what is the right way? What is worthy of God's affirmation? What is worthy of God's standard? And and literally, that word really means. You know, what is just? Uh, what is merciful? What is humble? You see, that's really a commentary on Micah 6 8. What is just? What is pure? I love this. I love this word. It's a derivative of the word holy and holiness. But literally, it means this, especially in both. Koine Greek, which is the Greek of our New Testaments, and classical Greek, you know, of, of, of the secular culture. It means preparing your heart for worship. What a beautiful thought. Let me, let me just say something about that. I'm just going to step out of my sermon for a minute and step into my little past, put my pastor hat on a little bit. I want to I challenge you to something. I want to challenge you to be here five minutes before a service starts. And if you're online, five minutes before the service starts. 
And this is what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to come in here. I know you, it's so wonderful to see everybody. I love seeing everybody. It's good to see everybody. But I'd like you to get in here five minutes early, come in here, and, and sit here. And if you do, you'll hear that beautiful introduction that James gave this morning. And I'd like you just to come because God's worth that. Right? To prepare our hearts for worship. Just come. Just come and come early. Greet the people. Get, tell the person who you always greet, say, hey, come five minutes early so I can greet you because I want to greet you. And then just come here five minutes ahead of time. Just sit. Prepare your heart because God wants to do something. And it's really about him. So we want to invite you to that. But what is pure literally means what prepares me to worship God. What is truly sacred what is consistent with God's character, what is holy, and in the context of the world around me, looking around and saying, what in my world is worthy of the worship of God? And looking in my life, saying, what in my life is worship of God? That's what it means. And then, whatever is lovely. I love that word. It occurs only here in the New Testament, too. Where is the grace of beauty in the world that you need to look at? What is worth cherishing? What is truly, truly worth cherishing? What's worth embracing? Again, that's the idea. What is admirable? What is worth admiring? What is worth praising? Who really is worth admiring? Who are those worth admiring, especially with the traits of sacrifice? That occurs only here in the Bible. And then he says, and if there's anything excellent, it's the classic word for virtue. What is of the highest good? It's an old-fashioned word. We don't use that word anymore. But what is the highest and best good? What is truly moral and ethical? And for us, it's, it's asking this question, where is Christ-likeness seen? Where is Christ-likeness seen? Where do I see Christ-likeness? And where is there Christ-likeness in my life? And then whatever is praiseworthy. I love this. What deserves your praise? Don't give your praise away too cheaply. What deserves your praise? I'm not telling you to make sure you adopt that mindset that says, well, I'm not going to praise anyone because, you know what, they'll get a fat head, something like that. No, 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 that's not what it's saying. It's asking you. It's asking you not to be stingy with your praise. But what deserves your praise? What is fitting of God's approval? And what and who needs and deserves your encouraging praise? Whew, that's a lot, right? I was going to originally move on to um, what do we think about God next week, but we're going to come back to this. We're going to unpack these more because there's just too much. My head was blowing up this week. There's just too much. And we need to think about something. I want you to just plant in your mind right now. Gatekeeper. 
Who's the gatekeeper? We'll come back to that next week. We're going to look at these again. You're going to hear some of this again. But right now, right now, just stop. What one thought do you need to lay hold of right now? Think about it. What one thought do you need to lay hold of right now? It's probably going to be a different thought tomorrow morning, probably different this afternoon or next month. But what is one thought you need to lay hold of today that is either true, noble, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy that's maybe evidenced in your life or someone you know or something you've seen? Write it down. Write it down on one of those cards in front of you or write it down in your brain. Write it down in the flyleaf of your Bible. What is that one thought? Write it down. It's not fair for me to ask that question without me doing it, so I waited till today to write it down. And, and because I can do it from I'm up here, I don't have one, I have two. And the first one I wrote down was this. What God is doing where I cannot see is more powerful than what I can see. And the other one was this. Don't, Jeff, don't let the things that are outside of your control rob you of your peace. Those are my two thoughts. Just using those as an example, what is the one thought you have right now? Got it? Hold it. has to be true, noble, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. Hold it. Just hold it. Think on it. Think about those kind of things. Let's take it to another level. You see, we often view the world as evil around us, as hostile to God, but here's the problem. You know, the Bible is such a problem. The psalmist says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Psalm 24, verse 1, love those words. Tells us something. These patterns of thinking are ingrained in the world. This is what I mean. We have right-thinking neighbors who would embrace these. And Paul's doing something interesting here because you see the um, Stoic philosophers had their lists as well. He's ramping up, he's ramping up the ante here. But we have neighbors who would agree with us to think these ways. So it wasn't Paul's day when the church was being persecuted, the immorality of the world was rampant, and the oppression by the powerful was as real as today, if not more so. So here's the next level. This is the next level of this. 
Everywhere around us, these, these traits, these ways of thinking are observable. Everywhere around us, they're observable because every human being has placed within them the image of God with the capacity to think on these things. I believe that. Everywhere around us, this is observable and needs to be affirmed as part of God's revelation for his desire for shalom in the world. C.S. Lewis said this, In science, we have been reading only the notes to a poem. In Christianity, we find the poem itself. I love that. So this is about recognizing God's handwriting on this world that he's made. Paul says, think about such things quite literally. Use your faculties upon them. He speaks in the present tense. He's insisting that this is to be ongoing, that this has become a habit. So where do we begin? And I'm going to land this plane right now. We must choose to think about the things of God and then make a choice to do the things of God. These famous words have been co-opted by so many and claimed by so many, but they originated with Ralph Waldo Emerson. And these are they. Sow a thought, and you reap an action. Sow an act, and you reap a habit. Sow a habit, and you reap a character. Sow a character, and you reap a destiny. You see, there's something powerful about what we're talking about today. Life-changing, renovating. Remember, Paul is speaking of intentionally framing our mind to what is the revelation of God in the world, And if there was ever a year for us to do this, this is it. So I'd like you to consider some things, okay? I'd like us, number one, I invite you to make 2024 a year of Philippians 4.8. When you leave today, you're going to be handed a worksheet. Now, I know not everyone is worksheet-oriented, but we are going to try to provide every possible way that everyone can tap into this. This worksheet basically says... Where did you see these things? Where did you observe them? It gives you a place to put a date and write it down. You can take this, fold it up, put it in a journal. You can make these your journal questions. Or if you don't want to do anything with paper, when you read the newsletter this week and you read my, my article in, in a shepherd's word, you're going to see a link that's going to take you to this. And you can have it electronically. You can download it electronically, and then you can use it however you want to. But the point of it being is this, for us to intentionally observe Philippians 4.8. That's one. When you leave today, you're also going to get this little small business card, size card. There's power in memorizing Scripture. So number two, memorize Philippians 4.8. You heard about that recent Japanese Airlines crash, that awful thing that happened on that runway. When that big plane hit that other plane, that smaller plane, and that plane burst into flames, they got all those people off that plane in less than 15 minutes. And this is what the passengers said. The passengers said, the crew very calmly and methodically deplaned us to safety. Why? Practice. 
Same way while that pilot Scully landed that plane in the Hudson River. Practice. So we're going to provide this small card with verse on it, and on the back it just says, think on these things. And then I'm going to invite you to take this, put it in your wallet, put it wherever you want. Mine is going to go on the dashboard of my car. That's because that's where I put this stuff. And I'm just going to keep it there and let it get into me. So number two, memorize it. Lastly, find a Philippians 4.8 partner who you're going to ask for them to memorize the Scripture with you. And then you can ask them, maybe say, hey, every month, will you just, will you just ask me the question, um, how are you thinking on things? How are you doing with Philippians 4.8? What are you thinking about? Um, now, how are we going to do that with greater intention? Well, here's how we're going to do it. So you all got a bookmark, right? And you got this bookmark. And um, when you leave, there's extra bookmarks. This bookmark is for you, but on the bottom, on the back, it says where you see the QR code and all that, it says partner invitation. So this is what we want to invite you to do. If you go to that QR code, you're going to see this five-day devotional. And if you want to start it tomorrow, you'll be starting with me. I'm going to add this just for five days to what I already do. On, on, from Philippians 4 8 on the Bible app. And if you have the Bible app, you can also invite someone else to do it with you. I have a couple people in mind that I'm going to invite to do this with me. Make them your Philippians 4 8 partners. You can hand them this <coughs> bookmark, someone, and say, hey, if you just scan that QR code, you can get into this with me. I'm going to be doing this. And they become a partner with you in doing that. So we want to invite you to use these tools simply as a way to make Philippians 4.8 yours. Let me close with this thought. There we go. Remember what we said at the beginning, Dallas Willard said this, the focus of your thoughts significantly affects everything else that happens in your life and evokes the feelings that frame your world and motivate your actions. Notice what it says. It's not your feelings that create your thoughts. It's your thoughts that drive your feelings. (coughs) That have a direct bearing on your feelings. He went on to say, so it is our thoughts that the first toward the renovation of the heart occur. Think about such things. Let's put Philippians 4.8 up there. All right, worship team, why don't you come on? We're going to give them time to get their way up here. But congregation, I invite you to stand with me as we come to the close of our service. I know that was a lot this morning. That's why we're going to revisit it next week. I know it was a lot this morning, but I hope that it's causing you to think about such things. Let's stand together. And we're going to recite this together, and then our worship team is going to close us. Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, 